0: Thank you for tuning in to the True Suspense podcast, completely free with no interruptions from advertising. If you enjoy what you hear, we would greatly appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe and rate and review our podcast. It helps new listeners find us. Please note that Season 4 involves sexual assault and other charges of criminal violence. So listener discretion is advised. Buckle up and get ready for True Suspense. I'm Arthur Pearlstein, and this podcast from the True Suspense Collection is Body of the Crime. This is Episode 1, So Close Yet So Far. Here is the prologue. It is late December in the year 2008, and Midland Lutheran College in Fremont, Nebraska, less than 30 miles northwest of Omaha, is on Christmas break. 18-year-old freshman Michael Weish and his roommate, almost 10 years older than Michael, had both decided to stay in their school-owned apartment over the holidays. Michael was on the football team at the little college. His roommate had been dismissed from the team the prior year. Michael invited a female friend of his to visit over the break just after Christmas. Because she was only 15 years old and her name has not been publicly released, we'll just refer to her as Julie, not her real name. During the course of the evening, Julie drank some vodka. Michael's roommate repeatedly made advances toward her but Julie spurned them. It was Michael she was interested in, and vice versa. After the roommate left them alone, Michael and Julie ended up having sex, which they mutually agreed to. In some states, a minor is not considered capable of giving consent for sex with someone aged 18 or more, and this would have been considered statutory rape. In Nebraska, however, the law is slightly more complicated. The Nebraska statute reads that, A person commits sexual assault of a child in the second or third degree if he or she subjects another person 14 years of age or younger to sexual contact and the actor is at least 19 years of age or older. The fact that Julie was over the age of 14 and Michael himself was under the age of 19 meant he had done nothing wrong in the eyes of the law in Nebraska. After their intimacy, Julie went to sleep, and Michael left the room about midnight to watch bowl game reruns on TV in the living room. There, he found his roommate asleep on one couch, and Michael lay down on another to watch the television. Eventually, Michael himself fell asleep. In the middle of the night, Michael awakened Realized he was now alone in the living room where the TV was still playing. And after getting up to go to the bathroom, Michael decided to check on Julie and quietly opened the door to his bedroom where he had left her sleeping. The room was dark, but the TV cast enough light for Michael to see something that startled him. His roommate was in the bed on top of Julie. Michael could see he was naked, and waving at Michael to shut the door. In the few seconds before Michael looked away, he also noticed that his roommate was touching himself with one hand. Soon afterwards, Michael overheard a shocked and highly upset Julie loudly confronting his roommate, telling him that she thought he was Michael. Later, the roommate would admit to Michael that he had left the lights out so she couldn't see it was him when he had slipped into the bedroom and had intercourse with Julie. In Nebraska, as well as any other state in the Union, this legally constituted rape. Indeed, the sexual assault statute in Nebraska provides by definition that subjecting a person to sex is without consent if, quote, the consent, if any was actually given, was the result of the actor's deception as to the identity of the actor or the nature or purpose of the act on the part of the actor, unquote. While Julie decided not to report the rape to the police, the painful memory would endure and figure prominently in news of another, even more serious crime. The month is the same, December, but it is two years later, 2010, and the location is a different small college in Nebraska. Though it has gone through a number of name changes, in 1867 the school now known as Peru State College in southeastern Nebraska became the first institution of higher education financed by the state. More than a 100 years later, in 1978, it became part of a newly created Nebraska State College system that governs the public colleges in the state that are not part of the University of Nebraska system. The small town of Peru that is home to the college is part of Nemaha County, which abuts the western boundary of the northernmost part of the state of Missouri. The area consists of low, wooded, rolling hills that slope down to the Missouri River. The population of the entire county is only around 7,000, and the town of Peru itself has barely 600 residents, not counting students at Peru State, who number between 1,500 and 2,000 in all. In 2010, A young woman named Tyler Thomas, known to most of her friends as Ty, was a freshman at Peru State. Ty was from Bellevue, part of the Omaha metro area, about 65 miles away from Peru. She was described by her friend Leslie Nunez as hard-working, savvy, well-dressed, and, quote, awfully beautiful, unquote. She was generally known as caring, kind-hearted, and thoughtful, someone who could be depended upon. Her friend Chloe, who lived across the hall from Tyler at the dorm on campus, said that Ty is always there for me whenever I need her. She's there for anyone if they need her. Ty Thomas has also been described as being driven with a focus on her future. She had dreams of being a fashion designer or a teacher, or maybe both. Tai was also very passionate about dance. Her hard work was credited with reviving a dance team at Peru State, and she was named team captain. Tai was also fond of art and poetry. While dedicated and determined, Tai was also known to frequently enjoy a good laugh. Her close friend, Sharia Marshall, put it this way, quote, Even if it's just watching movies and eating junk food, she always wants us to be laughing and having fun, unquote. She also referred to Ty's personality as, quote, bubbly. At the same time, friends describe Ty Thomas as outspoken and strong, though open-minded. Her friend Shirea, for example, said Ty, quote, "...will tell you exactly how she feels about you or a situation." Unquote. In Nimaha County, where the population is 98% white, there was something else about Tyler Thomas that you might assume distinguished her. She was African American. However, Peru's state has long promoted diversity and its current undergrad student body is 15% black. Indeed, Thai was active in the college's Black Students Union. What happened to Thai is not necessarily connected to race. On the other hand, as pointed out by many commentators, there is a tendency to hear much less about African American victims of certain kinds of crimes. In the autumn of 2010, 19-year-old Tyler Thomas began her studies at Peru State and was living in Davidson Residence Hall, a co-ed dorm on the heavily wooded college grounds known as the Campus of a Thousand Oaks. The college website brags that, quote, tree canopies made from ancient specimens of ginkgo, Colorado blue spruce, maple, Cypress, Hickory, and Elm create a remarkable display, unquote. On the night of Thursday, December 2nd, Ty attended a number of off-campus parties where she consumed alcohol and, by all accounts, had become visibly intoxicated by the time the clock passed midnight. And Thursday night, turned into Friday morning, December 3rd. Ty and a group of her friends had started off at her friend Sharia Marshall's off-campus apartment. They were celebrating Sharia's birthday that night, and the party hopping continued from there. The group eventually ended up at a place known as The Baseball House, just down the street from campus. It was a residence where traditionally many Peru state baseball players lived. A few altercations broke out at the baseball house that night and police were called, though no arrests were made. Some of Ty's friends were uncomfortable with that scene and moved on from the festivities at the baseball house, leaving Tai behind as they headed back to Sharia's apartment nearby. Ty was not happy when she realized this, feeling that her friends had ditched her. But her friend Dana prevailed upon Ty to accompany her back to Sharia Marshall's apartment. That turned out not to have been such a good idea. Ty and a friend named Mynika did verbal battle at Sharia's that looked like it was about to turn physical. Both Ty and Mynika had to be restrained. Tai angrily accused Manika of leaving her behind at the baseball house, and she drunkenly lashed out at a few others. Tai kicked a wall at Sharia's apartment and said that she wanted to go to Omaha. Tai then stormed out of the apartment. Dana tried to persuade her to come back, but Tai was not having it, and Dana saw her walking in the direction. Of the college campus. Several of Ty's friends tried to call her cell, but it seemed to be shut off and went straight to voicemail. They were concerned because it was below freezing, and Ty was wearing a short-sleeved fitted t-shirt and jeans with no coat on. At around 1.25 a.m., Ty sent text messages to Chloe And then a few other friends saying that she did not know where she was. One of the texts read as follows: "Where are you at? I can't find myself. I'm outside walking around." The last such message was sent and received at 1:28 a.m. It would turn out Ty also left a voice message for a friend in Omaha around that time. Meanwhile, Jerica Benavides, a softball player at Peru State, had gone with three college friends to nearby Nebraska City on the night of December 2, 2010, to see the new Harry Potter movie, Deathly Hallows, Part 1. On the way back from the movie after midnight, they stopped to pick up some marijuana in Peru and then headed to campus, intending to smoke it Eventually. Between 1 and one-thirty a.m. on December 3rd, they saw Ty walking towards the dorm complex without a coat. Geraldine Sunderman, one of the passengers in the car, recalled someone asking if they should give her a ride, but someone else said Ty would be fine, given that she did not have far to walk. The driver of the car, Josh Keedle, a junior at the college who lived in the same dorm as Ty, spoke to reporters later. We were driving back. She was just walking along. Uh, only reason I really noticed her, she didn't have a jacket on. It was pretty cold that night. Josh also mentioned that Ty appeared intoxicated. Geraldine would describe Ty as looking, quote, really drunk, unquote. The friends in Peru who had received Ty's text messages saying she was lost were unable to reach her back by text or phone, so they decided to go searching. As Ty's friends Chloe Courtier and Jade Gordon were about to head out, Josh Kittle came by and, when they told him they were going out in search of Ty, He reported about the group in his car having just seen her near a parking lot north of the dormitory complex heading in the general direction of the dorms. After checking around the campus and finding no sign of Ty, Chloe and Jade drove all around town looking for her. Other friends were also in search of Ty. At about 3 a.m., Having discovered no trace of her lost friend, Jade decided that it was time to involve law enforcement, and she called 911. Peru has no police force of its own, so deputies from the Nimaha County Sheriff's Department responded. They searched without immediate success and began to interview students who had seen Ty in the course of Thursday night and Friday morning. Josh Ketel, whose room was close to Ty's in the dorm, heard voices coming from her room around 4 a.m. and called Jade Gordon. Jade went to Ty's room, but found only her roommate, Whitney Medlock, there. Jerrica Benavides, one of those who spotted Ty walking toward the dorm on their way back from the Harry Potter film, had gone to sleep for the night. She described how she learned that Ty was missing. Quote, I woke up to several calls and text messages from my roommates and from Josh that Tyler had gone missing and that everybody was looking for her. Josh was messaging me about it. My roommates, Nicole and Sam, were messaging me about it. Unquote. In fact, word spread very quickly around the small community. Over the course of Friday and into the weekend, the Nemaha County Sheriff notified officers elsewhere in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri. Deputies were very soon joined by troopers from the Nebraska State Patrol. College security searched buildings on campus and did a room-by-room search of the dorms. Ty's purse was found in her dorm room along with her driver's license, birth certificate, social security card, keys, debit card, a gift card, and a check from Peru State College in the amount of $1,104.22. Her cell phone was nowhere to be seen, and neither was Ty. When police reviewed footage from security cameras on the college campus, Ty could be seen between 1 and 1.30 a.m. passing near the campus water tower and apparently heading towards her dorm. She was zigzagging and seemed intoxicated. Ty got to within one block of Davidson Residence Hall where she lived, but never made it. After one of the points when Ty wandered outside of the security camera field of view she did not reappear. College officials urged students to be cautious and report any suspicious activity. Junior Elizabeth Zito, president of the Peru State Student Senate, told reporters, quote, We're a very close community, and everyone is watching out for one another, unquote. On Friday night, Students held a prayer vigil for Ty. The search for Ty intensified on Saturday when 150 volunteers from Peru State, including students and faculty members, combed the campus and surrounding areas. Trained search dogs from Star 1 out of Iowa and Missouri Search and Rescue out of Kansas City were deployed. A helicopter from the Nebraska State Patrol conducted a number of aerial searches. The Missouri Water Patrol was activated and conducted a search of nearby areas of the Missouri River using divers and sonar. Law enforcement disseminated information about Ty's disappearance on a national scale. They entered a DNA profile for Ty that had been developed from some of her personal belongings into a national DNA database used to identify missing persons. They also entered basic information about Ty and her disappearance into the National Crime Information Center database. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, into whose database information was also entered, arranged for its Team Adam to assist. Team Adam is a group of mostly retired law enforcement officers who specialize in bringing national resources to missing person cases. Team Adam was named for Adam Walsh, who was abducted from a department store and later murdered at the age of six. Adam was the son of John Walsh, who became an advocate for victims of violent crimes and was the host of the television program America's Most Wanted. John Walsh and his wife, along with other child advocates, founded the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Soon, the FBI was also called in and sent criminal profilers. At the same time, authorities asked residents, especially farmers, to look in their barns, outbuildings, unlocked vehicles, ditches, and fields for any signs of the missing student. A telephone number to the Nemaha County Sheriff's Office was provided in every announcement and news reports with instructions for people to call if they had any information about Ty's whereabouts or knew anything related to her disappearance. On Sunday, as volunteers fanned out again to look for Ty, Peru State College issued a press release on the search. It explained that volunteers had already, quote, canvassed Peru and a three to five mile radius of rugged terrain on foot, by ATV, and with other vehicles, unquote. The press release also included a statement from Tyler Thomas's family it read as follows, Our family would like to express our heartfelt thanks to the hundreds of students and volunteers who have assisted in the effort to find our daughter, sister, granddaughter, niece, cousin, and friend. We also want to thank President Hanson and his wife Elaine for opening their home to our family, the local churches and clergy for their prayers, and the law enforcement officers who continue to search for Ty. The outpouring of support from everyone in the area has been overwhelming, and we appreciate everything everyone has done. We hope and pray that we will find Ty and bring her home safely." Unquote. The college press release concluded by saying that, quote, The Nemaha County Sheriff's Office and the Nebraska State Patrol are continuing to actively pursue and investigate leads as they become available, On Monday, dozens of missing person flyers with photos of Tyler Thomas were up on doors, windows, and bulletin boards across the Peru state campus and in the nearby town. Among them was one made by Tyler's 13-year-old brother Dylan, Next to a picture of Ty with her beautiful smile he wrote, quote, "God be with you; come home safely." Unquote. Meanwhile, Nemahaw County Sheriff Brent Lotman assured the public that efforts to find Ty were unrelenting. Quote, "We have tried everything available; we're trying everything available to find her; we're not cutting corners." Unquote. Sheriff Lottman also explained that law enforcement was following up on all kinds of cell phone records from the night of Ty's disappearance. But for the most part, no authorities at any of the agencies involved was able to comment on Ty's disappearance or where they were in the investigation. It was clear that foul play was not being ruled out. Ty's parents emphasized that their daughter had no reason to take off, nor would she go long without contacting her family. They continued to plead with the public to help bring Ty home safely. As Ty's friend, Chloe, put it, quote, I just keep praying she will be found in a warm, safe place, <laughs> Meanwhile, the Peru State campus had become unusually quiet and somber. Final exams were being postponed. One student, a senior at Peru State, told the Lincoln Journal Star newspaper, quote, Someone knows something on this campus and they're not saying anything. There's more to the story. Unquote. By the middle of the week following Ty's disappearance, there was still no trace of her. But by Wednesday, law enforcement understood that there was, indeed, more to the story. They had reached an initial conclusion about who was involved in whatever had happened to Ty. It was someone whom Julie, the young girl who had been raped by a student at Midland Lutheran, would recognize. Join us next week for Body of the Crime, Episode 2, Déjà vu. Body of the Crime is a production of True Suspense Podcasts. Written and narrated by me, Arthur Perlstein. Music, sound engineering, and post-production by Guy Bainbridge and Walls End Studios. Be sure to visit truesuspense.com for more information about this podcast and any other True Suspense productions. If you like what you hear, Please help spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you.